Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. What are most of us doing wrong when it comes to love? What does it actually mean to sit with your pain to experience love? What is the difference between self-care and self-love? Well, my guest today to help answer these questions and more is Kanwa Singh, also known as the Humble Poet. Kanwa is a Canadian-born rapper, spoken word artist, poet, internationally best-selling author and former elementary school teacher. What began as reciting spoken word poetry in coffee shops to impress girls evolved into a creative adventure that has spanned the last 10 years, crossing genres, mediums and oceans. His first two releases, Unburn and Things Nobody Can Teach Us, have become international bestsellers. In his newest book, How to Be Loved, he shows us how to move away from the trap of always trying to be loved by the world and rather be the love we desire. So let's dive in. Welcome, Kenway. It's I'm really looking forward to this interview because you're talking about something that is just so universal, so core to who we are as humans. and it is so important and it's something I talk about from a scientific perspective as well. And you, so you're going to talk about love and you're going to give us a wonderful, beautiful perspective on love. And you have a beautiful new book on this book, a book called How to Be Love. And I love yes. that, How to Be Love. And then in brackets, you've got How to Be Loved. Yes. There yes. we go. Yes. There we go. How to Be Loved and Loved. And yes. the way you approach it is just really beautiful. My audience have heard me talk about the fact that we, I talk about the science of being wired for love. Mm -hmm. And we literally have every part of our brain and our body is wired for love, being that it's wired to work for us, not against us. It's on our mm -hmm. side. So, mm -hmm. so we wired for, for success. And that's not just a, a motivational statement, literally in our biology, in our genes, in our cells, everything is working towards survival. Mm -hmm. And our mind, brain, body interconnection, the psychoneurobiology is all working towards this love connection. So it's yeah. core to our fundamental humanity and across every culture, across every single movie that we watch, everything is always at the core is love. So yeah. I'm so happy to talk about love from your angle today. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's going to be fun. Okay. So tell us a bit about your background because you didn't start off in this where you are now. You, had a, you have a great backstory. So tell us a yeah. bit of your backstory. I was born and raised in Toronto, in Canada, and I was working as an elementary school teacher. I, I loved school so much, I didn't want to leave. And <laughs> I love that. I, I really think it had to do with just, you know, when you're a child, every new school year, new classroom, new desk, new teacher, new environment, new best friend, everything was a whole different yeah. <laughs> experience every time. Kind of a renewal, and I really enjoyed that dynamic environment. And I think as I got older and I went to university and I was doing information technology, trying to be a coder, getting into computer sciences, I realized that, that this wasn't the environment I wanted to be in. And then I, I, I switched over to, to education, I went to teacher's college, and then I worked as an educator teaching elementary school. So I taught the third grade and the fourth grade predominantly over the course of, of um, six years. And I taught in the wow. neighborhood <clears throat> that I grew up in, a, a very multicultural part of Toronto called Rexdale. And the experiences were really good. And it was my first time as an adult, adult as well. And, you know, having time off after work and not having homework and getting involved in the arts. And I, I grew up on hip hop and I grew up on spoken word poetry and, and going to coffee shops and, you know, using it as an excuse to be social, a way to meet girls, a way to just have fun. <laughs> but it took a life of its own. And, you know, back then I was writing about things that I thought were super interesting. I was the kind of person that when I learned something, I want to share it. 
And I'm excited to share it. And, and a lot of it back then was in the world of social justice and activism. And, you know, once you learn different angles of a situation, I would share that and I would use creativity and spoken word to, to talk about it. And it took a life of its own. It's I started sharing stuff, and this is in the early days of YouTube, where you know you post something on YouTube, people actually saw it, and you know <laughs> it grew it grew an audience very quickly. And I was you know still viewing it as as a hobby until eventually opportunities came that motivated me, you know, to to quit my job as a teacher to pursue full time art. And then that's when the fun began because you learn very quickly that the entertainment industry is not very above board and. The first groups of people to recognize your talent aren't often there to help you. They're there to benefit off your talent and, and profit mm-hmm. off of it. So I found myself in a situation where I actually did not have any opportunities. I was unemployed. You know, I had to quit teaching. And then I also was in a gang of debt. And I was predominantly at that point making music and doing poetry. But I had people I was working with, other friends in creative fields, all of us doing it as part time hobbies, helping me with the music, helping me with the visuals. And then I couldn't do that anymore because I didn't know how to. And there was a sense of urgency in terms of what can I do. And it was a friend of mine that encouraged me to figure out what I could do all by myself and not depend on anybody else. And at that point, it was just written word. And she encouraged me to write. She goes, write as much as you can. So I began writing every single day. And I now realize that was my cost-effective form of processing and therapy at a time when I couldn't. And I was pretty much writing to myself every day on Facebook. I was blogging back when blogging was a thing. And that connected me with a much larger audience and it was growing very quickly. And the most predominant comment I was receiving was, you know, it feels like you're telling me my story. You know, most commenters, you started to realize that we're all in the same boat. We're all dealing with the exact same things. Mm. And then eventually, you know, they started encouraging me. It It was my community that encouraged me to write a book. And my reply was, I don't know how. And then I was inundated with all these articles on how to self-publish. And (laughs) I self-published my first book. I crowdfunded it. 305 people contributed to my crowdfunding and I raised about $25,000. And, you know, that was the the first, the first journey into publishing. And I self-published the book. It did, you know, three copies a week for, for a few years. And then it got to three copies a day. And then as other opportunities in, in, in my creative career were growing, they got picked up by the biggest bookstore in Canada, which is Indigo, Chapters Indigo. Mm-hmm. And once it was put into their retail system, it became a bestseller. And then after that, I connected with literary agents in the States and I signed with HarperCollins. And then I did two more books through them. And now the newest book is with a new relationship with Hay House who specialize in wellness. And and that's kind of the journey of me writing. And I realized that I've kind of cultivated a space where I can be a lifelong learner. And instead of serving or acting as an authority on a topic, I really try to write from the perspective of, I'm the kid at the front of the class, really interested in learning. And here's me sharing my notes with the rest of the world. I love that. And so what did you, when you were blogging and you started off blogging, what were you Blogging, you said everyone appealed to so many people. What were you blogging about? So initially, I, I had a folder full of just really unique photos I had found all, all over the internet. You know, one that I remember is like a real photograph of a little chimpanzee feeding a baby tiger milk <laughs> from a bottle. Aww. And then I would, I'd, you know, whatever it would inspire from me, I would write. You'd I write about probably that. Wrote, 
Yeah, I'd write about service. And I think what I really realized very quickly was kind of like the universal experience that we were all having, which was anxiety about tomorrow, regrets about yesterday, and not spending enough time in the presence. And I think what I realized what was bringing things to the table was my time as a as a, as a rapper, but also my time as an elementary school teacher allowed me to learn how to package information and, and nuggets that made it easy to consume. So I wrote as if I was speaking to eight-year-olds, and then you realize you are speaking to eight-year-olds, you're speaking to everybody's inner child. So mm-hmm. I, I wrote a lot about my anxieties. I wrote a lot about my regrets because at, at this point, I felt like I had really made a mistake quitting my job to pursue mm-hmm. arts and not doing my due diligence and understanding this industry at all. And what I realized is, you know, the metaphor I like to use is that I had left the zoo to live in the jungle, thinking it was absolute freedom, but not realizing all the responsibilities that come with that freedom. Of living in the jungle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those cages keep you locked in, but they also keep a lot of predators out. And then the moment mm. you're free, you're, you know, and, you know, and, and it's been over a decade now. So I've, I've found some comfort in this chaos of the jungle and, and figured out how to maneuver. You found your niche, you found your corner. Trends and fads come and go, especially when it comes to health and wellness. But eating well for your mind, brain and body is not a trend or a fad. It is about creating a lifestyle that helps you achieve your goals and dreams and live your best life. Noom gets this. They use psychology, not trends, to help you make intentional and sustainable choices that are aligned with your values and goals. I find the app's quick daily lessons super helpful and I've learned so much about the relationship between what I eat and my mental health. I also think it's great that you get to choose your level of support from five-minute daily check-ins to personal coaching, which works well with my busy schedule. Noom understands that everyone's journey is different, so your daily lessons are personalized to you and your goals and based on scientific principles to help you understand your relationship with food. In fact, Their approach is grounded in science. Noom has published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles describing their methods and effectiveness. Stop chasing health trends and build sustainable healthy habits with Noom's psychology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com slash drleaf. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash drleaf to sign up for your trial today. Check out Noom's first ever book, The Noom Mindset, a deep dive into the psychology of behavior change. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. The link and details will be in the show notes. I love that analogy. It's a great analogy. But the, it's, I'm just going to read a little bit from what's a little couple of sections from your book. And you say that the truth is we all want love. Everything we do is in pursuit of it. But as we count likes on social media and measure our worth by the numbers in our bank accounts, we are programmed to see love as something we earn, something to earn or win. And that programming obscures the simple truth behind what we are, beautiful, infinite, eternal sources of love. And so you've been curious about this for a decade, this whole concept of love and how universal it is. And obviously, when you were writing about your experiences, the response you had was kind of loving. People were reaching Mm. out to you and there was community and connection across countries, cultures, belief systems and everything. So uh, based on that, tell us about this book that you've now just released and, you know, why about, why, why that title, you know, why the book, why at the stage of your life and what does it really mean, this concept of love? Yeah, I, you know, the book, the book, How to Be Loved, it was, it was motivated after a breakup. I was, I was engaged, you know, after six months of the engagement and, and five years in the relationship, I, I, I walked away from it. 
not being able to put into words why. And I, I was always also very cognizant and aware of the fact that my family dynamic and my social s- circles and friends were mm-hmm. much healthier than probably the average person. I have great siblings I get along with. I have great extended family I get along with. I have friends that I've known since I was five years old that I've never had any conflicts with. And I still felt this kind of hole. I felt this kind of lack. Like I knew, I felt the love, but I didn't feel the gratitude for the love. And I was trying to figure out what was happening. And even in that relationship, it wasn't an unhealthy relationship in any capacity, but it was causing me, I was, I couldn't ignore the anxiety around it. And and I was realizing, and, and, and this is one of the ideas that, you know, I gathered from some of your work, which is, you know, is it, the anxiety isn't the problem. It's the suppression of the anxiety. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. So, you know, years later, I now realize I wasn't breaking up with a person. I was breaking up with a version of me that had to exist in that space because that space Very wasn't the safest space to articulate myself or or be vulnerable, which I think is an exp- extremely important recipe to mm-hmm. developing connection with somebody. So what what had what I realized was I was aware you know, it's like having a bank account full of money and feeling poor and being like, logically, mm. this doesn't make sense. So why do I feel so poor? So I felt love poor, even though it was very clear and abundant, especially meeting other people who have much more dysfunctional family lives. What is this? And I realized it's an internal mm. thing. Through, and then I began to to start researching, you know, you know, love on a deeper level, understanding that it really is the motivation for everything we do. Yeah. And realizing that there are so many kind of facsimile versions of love that we chase, you know, adoration, attention, affection, clout, success, status, all of these things are, you know, much more quickly gratifying. You know, I, you know, I kind of view them as fast food, mm-hmm. you know, it's food, it's quick, it's cheap, it's convenient, <laughs> but it's not really, and it's very delicious, but it's not very nutritious. Mm-hmm. And I started realizing that I was falling in that world where I was chasing all this delicious facsimiles of love that I wasn't absorbing any of the nutrition of the actual love that was existing in my world because it was a much more it was much more of a slow burn in terms of gratification. And then I realized, you know, through different journeys, both, you know, plant medicine journeys, through through meditation, through, you know, speaking to friends and connecting, that all the walls that I had built up throughout my life to to protect myself. You know, emotionally, mostly, you know, mostly I realized, you know, this fortress was a prison. You know, this fortress wasn't just protecting me from pain. It was it was disconnecting me from people. I was throughout my life subtly signaled the idea that vulnerability was a weakness. Mm. And so in every step of the way, I would avoid it, including in my interpersonal relationships, where if I was in an intimate relationship with, with a woman and she expressed pain, it would trigger my pain and I would want to solve her problem. Mm-hmm. Not because I cared, but more so because I didn't want to feel my pain that was being triggered. And it took a lot of work to realize that empathy is allowing that pain to get triggered and sitting in the pain with the other person. And, you know, and then evolving that to attunement. You know, which would be being not only trying to feel what, what what it is to be in their shoes, but try to be in their skin and, and and clearly articulate. You know, I know what you're going through. I'm I'm here at your level, and I'm trying to be where you're at. And I was the opposite for the longest time. I was just like, you know, how do I solve your problem? Or if somebody has it worse, or that's not even a problem. That's a dilemma. And not realizing that I was severing connections <clears throat> and, yeah. and pathways for love to flow 
I was just creating blockages. So it's less about finding and realizing and earning and winning love. And it's more about clearing a pathway for love to flow because love can be in itself a constant energy that is already flowing. And the work that we're really doing is making ourselves available and open to access it. Oh, I love that. I love that. What are some of us doing wrong then when it comes to love? Because you, you, as you say, you know, the mindset of earning more and achieving more. And as you just described, all the external kind of drivers that are very dominant in our society. There's also at the same time parallel to that, there is this realization that we need to, we need community, we need relationship, we need love. So we almost in an in a interesting, I think an interesting state in, in, in time mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. we are realizing what you're saying, the love and the community, the relationships, because I interview so many people and it's coming up so much yeah. and more than maybe two years ago when I interviewed people, it's, it's almost every interview no matter who I interview, it's coming up this fundamental universal need of humans to connect and deep meaningful relationships and love and community and relationship with the self and that kind of thing. So yet that goes contrary to the hustle culture and the earning and the externalization. It just doesn't satisfy what we, we need at our core. So based on that, what are the most, what are most of us potentially doing wrong when it comes to love? I think what it is, and, and you know, the subtitle of the book is Simple Truths for Going Easier on Yourself. So I, I want to preface this by saying, let's be easy on ourselves. And I think, you know, so factually, you know, let's say humans have been civilized or humans as we know them, as we are, we've probably been in existence. And please correct me if I'm wrong, 40,000 years in this form, you know, maybe yeah, a little bit I longer. Don't even, little I don't less. think we, yeah, I'm not sure how, uh, yeah. I think that the numbers are debated, but whatever it is, it's it's a long time. <laughs> It's a long time. And, and, and we can we can definitely say for sure what the vast majority of that long time, we were all in much smaller communities. And I think focusing on the priority of keeping that community thriving and growing, you know, we 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 adjusted our behaviors accordingly. And I think one of the big things was understanding ourselves in relations to each other. You know, so mm-hmm. if you're in a village of 50 to 100 people, you can understand yourself in a hierarchy. So, you know. It's like being in middle school. You can you can figure mm-hmm. out who the coolest kid is. It's, it's 200 people. But then I think what ends up happening is now that we're in these much larger metropolitan, you know, cities and societies of millions of people, I think it's really messing up with our wiring because I think the numbers are really high. So you can't say, you know, you can might say who's the coolest kid in, in your middle school, but you can't say who's the coolest kid in Manhattan. You know, mm-hmm. it's just there's too many ladders and, you know, you climb one ladder and then you find somebody else at the top of a different ladder. So I think what, what's really happened is a lot of our kind of a, a biological software to survive these small communities, working within your community, gaining acceptance from your community, ostracism from your community would have probably led to your death. All of this mm-hmm. kind of, you know, predisposed software that we are pre-programmed with served us for tens of thousands of years is really kind of working against us when it comes to these big societies. So the paranoia that kept us safe in the jungle from predators, the need to be accepted by everybody that worked in a small village, all of that now, when we don't have physical dangers, is kind of repositioning itself in ways that kind of hinder us. So I think now we prioritize being likable over, mm. you know, honoring our, our That's true interesting. selves. interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like we choose our self-esteem over our self-respect, you know, mm. and I think it's because of, of this kind of old software. And I, like, I think it's a Peter Crone idea that, you know, you buy your, you buy your iPhone, it already comes preloaded with software that you can't delete. And it's the same thing being a human. So I think one of the things that we do wrong is we prioritize being likable because I think that denies us love so often because that denies us the ability to set boundaries, show our teeth, stand up for ourselves, be our authentic self. And I think also 
recognizing when we speak about society, especially on this side, actually taking the time to identify what society is. Society isn't a collection of people anymore. It's especially in this part of the world, it's, an, it's a big economic engine. And your mm. contributions to society is very clear that you are rewarded for the more you contribute to this economic engine. So it's buy stuff, be happy, work really hard, make a lot of money, be productive. You know, we're no longer, you know, in alignment with with the rest of the the ecosystem. We're no longer eat, sleep, procreate animals. You know, now we're we're almost functioning as machines. How how long can we be productive? Whereas every other animal, they they sprint, they hunt, they eat, then they sleep. And then, you know, they procreate where we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't work in bursts. We don't work in sprints. We're kind of on from nine to five. So I think what this kind of society economic engine has done, it has really changed, you know, it's changed our priorities. And, and that's really matching up with who we are in terms of our biological software. And what we may or may not realize is everything is designed for that. So when we, the signals we get through media, when you watch a romantic couple is you're not watching a healthy romantic couple, you're watching an entertaining romantic couple, which probably mm-hmm. by definition can't be healthy. Cause I feel, you know, healthy romance, healthy love would feel and look like peace. You know, the equi- mm-hmm. it would be the equivalence to watching the fireplace channel on your television, you know, and just watching <laughs> the flame crackle. It's yes. nice, but it's not mm-hmm. going to keep a lot of attention. It's not going to make for mm-hmm. a hit Netflix show. So you know, people watching Friends and they're watching the 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 cat and mouse game of Ross and Rachel going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. they start to pick up on signals and think that's what it should be. And you know, and then just talks about finding the spark with your partner. And I think oftentimes that spark could actually be a warning sign to run the other way. And I think th- there's that, and I think there's also this kind of understanding that again with the messaging, like we have to be sold products. So we have, to, you know, and a, one great marketing method is to tell somebody that they're not enough without this product. So mm. now we have this kind of definition of enoughness, which which doesn't apply to humans. You can't be enough of a person. You can't be worthy of a person. You know, enoughness could apply to your bank account when making a purchase. It can apply to your gas tank when taking a trip. But, you know, you can't say somebody something enough of a flower, you know, take off a few petals. It doesn't make that. I want to just jump in there because it's what you said there about enough. There's a universal what I'm finding in my research and, and when I practiced as well, which was for a long time. I practiced for 25 years and I've been in this field for like 35 years now. And that not enough is a consistent with, I think I don't think a single person that I've personally worked with, and then the millions that we now reach, at least probably ninety percent or ninety five percent, that's come up somewhere in talking about anxiety or depression or just dealing with learning issues or something. That not enough thing has is very universal, and it's and it's kind of sad because it's it definitely if you feel like not enough, you're not there's not enough not enough self love there, and that's something else you also talk about. You talk because we also in an era where these, you know, take self-care. We, we, as I said in the beginning, and I sort of set you up, is there is a lot of emphasis on, more emphasis now on love and community and all that stuff. But they, and, and people are kind of meeting that need by saying, hey, you're busy, but, you know, are you taking out time for self-care? And you make a comment that we should look at the difference between self-care and self-love. And I think it relates to this not enough situation, this I'm not enough kind of situation from what mm-hmm. I from my perception I'd love your I'd love your take on that and how you've handled that in your book 
Yeah, I think definitely, you know, and, and we're having this conversation right around Valentine's Day and you have these, yeah. con- these kind of concepts around, you know, self-care, you know, people kind of using self-care and self-love interchangeably. But again, it's a lot of self-care, self-love includes self-care. I don't, not all self-care includes self-love. And I think it's really important, again, going back to the fact that we, you know, we, we're in a capitalistic society where, you know, products and services are constantly purchased. So these ideas of makeovers and and and, and spa dates and stuff like that may not necessarily mm-hmm. be service and peace when it, you know, when, it, which, which, in my opinion, are the definitions of love. They may be, again, to enhance you, to make you feel better or to make you look or seem better than you are. And mm-hmm. I think in, in some of those contexts, you're still playing into this idea. And I think it's really important to realize that because if you think, you know, especially if we take romantic relationships out of the equation for a moment, think about the people you love. When you think about your family, your parents, your siblings, anybody, you your best friend, anybody you authentically love, you could write a whole book on their imperfections. And none of those imperfections disqualify them from your love. Because love doesn't have a doesn't require qualification. It doesn't mm-hmm. require enoughness. It most definitely does not require perfection. Because for love and connection to be established, it requires vulnerability. Someone to mm-hmm. be perfect would have nothing to be vulnerable about. And in the book, I make a reference to a YouTube video of Beyonce messing up her performances, four minutes of her falling off stage and making mistakes. And just saying the challenge of if you're a Beyonce fan, watch the video and see if it impacts how you feel about her. And then most likely seeing her be vulnerable will make you love her more. Exactly. She's still the queen. She's still, she's still (laughs) the queen, even if, you know, she doesn't need to be flawless. And because if she was flawless, you would have nothing to connect with her on. She needs to be vulnerable. She needs to be imperfect. And again, but we celebrate this, you know, we watch athletes and we watch them do superhuman things, but we only watch the outcome of their journey. We don't watch them practice. Exactly. And the mistakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the mistakes and the greatest athletes in the world, you know, there's that Michael Jordan commercial for Nike where Mm -hmm. he speaks about how many shots he missed, how many Mm -hmm. games he lost, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's a lot, you know, but that doesn't take away from the fact that he, you know, he is held in such prestige. And I think sometimes it's it's just, we are being in, and the reason I say we have to go easy on ourselves is this isn't simply a mistake we're being, that we're making. It is something that's being signaled to us by our societies by mm. our algorithms, by our social medias, because there is a there is a lot of money to be made by having people believe they're not enough and they need to buy 17 pairs of shoes, they need to have mm-hmm. a bright yellow Lamborghini, they need to fly in a private <laughs> jet, they need to do all of these things to feel like they're enough, you know, and you can't, mm-hmm. you cannot address an internal issue with external solutions or antidotes, mm-hmm. including another person. And I think it's, it's it's a really important thing to understand. And as I said, I'm going to keep reiterating, reiterating the idea that we have to go easy on ourselves because this isn't a mistake we're made. We're taught this, especially mm-hmm. in this part of the world. We're taught this. So it does require a level of unlearning to be like, okay, I was taught that the more money I made, the more, the more symmetrical my face is, you know, the more friends I have. And if I have a blue check mark on Instagram that I matter, but these things aren't true. And at the end of the day, these businesses that have created this, they're doing it for their own purposes, which is exactly. to keep me on this platform, keep mm-hmm. me using it. So they have eyeballs for advertisers. And the same thing when I watch television or romantic comedies or pornography, all of these things mm-hmm. are, they're hyper normal. You know, they're, they're, they're taking something that's normal and then creating a version of it that is not normal and giving you the impression that it is. 
And that's why we have reality shows. That's why people shoot pornography with, with low level cameras to make it seem more authentic. But what it is, mm-hmm. is these aren't reflections of reality. You know, and it's really important to recognize that. So, you know, a Disney, you know, the old Disney films were taking, you know, the, the knight in shining armor, you know, that, that, that is actually mm-hmm. what it used to be in feudal societies where if you, your only method of social climbing was to join the military. So it's like you join mm-hmm. the military, you can get social climbing. Now your ability to find, to be a little bit more picky or choose a marriage partner will increase. So being the knight in shining armor will get you a will, mm. will increase your mating options, and then to be the damsel in distress to be chosen by the knight in shining armor. So this this served a pragmatic mm-hmm. purpose in a small community, and then Disney took it and they amplified it, and now mm. the shiny armor is a Gucci belt, and the damsel in distress is, you know, mm-hmm. certain bodily features or, or 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 you know presenting themselves in certain ways. But at the end of the day, the interesting thing with all of this is. What you're thriving for at the end when you think about love is you and your partner sitting on a couch, not needing to say anything, just enjoying each other's company. And that doesn't come from putting your best foot forward on a first date. That doesn't come from, you know, giving the impression and signals that, oh, I'm wealthy. Oh, I'm beautiful. Oh, I'm I'm this, I'm that. All of these, you know, all this stuff's going to melt away eventually, hopefully, you know, and the vulnerability is what lasts. And I think this is an opportunity to do so. So I think very often we mistake all these all these validations for love and then we start to think that these are the requirements because i think you know if i if i meet a woman for the first time and go on a first date there are going to be expectations and standards that i have to live up to to get a second date but those aren't expectations and standards for love that's just expectations and standards to get another date to get another chance an opportunity to connect with this person and I think mm-hmm. that's what, because in no other form of our relationships with anybody else or anything else that involves love, do we feel all of this condition. And I think that's why it's an important thing to, to make that differentiation and also challenge the idea that when you are in a romantic situation to, to begin, begin with vulnerability and understand that vulnerability is not, you know, nothing and then instantly you know your deepest darkest secrets there can be a lot of vulnerability in between and you know through therapy i learned to to have vulnerable stories that i can share with a stranger that would not scare them away i can talk about my first dog and losing my first dog and how i broke my heart and how i didn't want to get another Mm -hmm. dog and i waited 10 years to get another dog and now i have a new dog and there are little reminders of my previous dog through this and it's a vulnerable story, but it's not a, it's not too much information. I could tell somebody mm-hmm. on, I can walk up to somebody on the street and tell them the story. And now there's an opportunity for them to be vulnerable with me versus, you know, me trying to put a best foot forward and just rhyming off my resume and, and having the person in front of me do the same and hope that that creates some l- level of connection. I love that. I love how you've explained all of that. It's beautiful. And also the concept of peace. And just sitting with your partner on the couch and not having to say anything or do anything fancy is like so important. And people um, people often ask me because of the line of work I'm in, you know, what is my definition of success and that kind of thing. And when do you know that you're managing your mind and that sort of thing, that the area that I work in, I always, my, my standard answer is a sense of peace. Mm. Because if you have a sense of peace with yourself, that means that there is self-love. It's kind of your signal that there is self-love happening. Yeah. And the self-care, as you say, they, they're different. You know, they, self-love includes self-care, but they, they, it's not. How did you explain it? You said it very nicely. 
Yeah, I said I said self-love includes self-care, but not all self-care is self-love. Yeah, there you go. So mm. some self-care is is the things that you're doing because that's what you're supposed to be doing. So I like I love that definition. So there's nothing wrong with self-care, but you've got to make sure that the self-care is self-love. So it's almost yeah. like if I'm hearing you say, you've got to make sure that it is real self-love. Is this what you need for you or is this something that society says you need for self-care? Because there's so mm. many, like, in, you, you can go to Instagram and find a million ways to self-care at the moment. You've yeah. got to find what works for you that is aligning with self-love and aligning with a sense of peace, which I yes. think is really what you're trying to say. Am I right? I, it's all, yeah. So at the end of the day, you know, the, the, the feelings of love and the feelings of peace is not getting everything. Peace is not needing or wanting anything else. You know, it's, 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 mm. it's you know, in our happiest moments. It's satisfied. Our happiest mm -hmm. moments are the moments that we just want to freeze. We don't want anything else there. We just want it to last longer. We want it to freeze. We don't require anything else to enhance this moment. And those are moments of peace. That's beautiful. I mean, I have to interrupt you there. That is such a a, a, a profound statement because if, if that's the moment, if you want to freeze that moment because it's so great, yeah. you don't want it to pass, hang on to that because that yeah. moment is the moment of, of peace that you want to try and replicate. And in that moment, if you had to have a look at everything going on in your life, there's certainly things that are still needed and yeah. wanted and whatever. And all kinds of unresolved issues, but there's something about that moment. Yeah, and, and it's it's presence. It's being present. You know, it's not being in that anxiety of tomorrow. It's not being in that regret of yesterday. It's being today, in the moment, exactly where you are. And that can be in any form. And you start to realize how, you know, again, even that gets monetized. I believe, you know, mm. gambling is a great example of, of, of being, is monetizing presence. You know, somebody, if somebody is gambling, their mind is not wandering because they're in the presence. So we, we start to, you know, driving a sports car really fast, having amazing sex. All of these things are taking us, making us, putting us where we are. And I think it's just, it's an important thing to recognize because we also have to start to understand, especially in, in, in the world that we live in now, that most of the pleasure that we're chasing isn't enhancing the peace. It's medicating the lack of peace, you know? So we're not even it's doing things. Mm. Yeah. We're not doing things to feel good. We're doing things to feel less bad. Do you have anxious thoughts? Are you restless at night? Or do you just not feel like your best self? Making sure we feel our best should always be a top priority. And by spending a few minutes with Calm each day, you can be sure you're taking the necessary time to prioritize yourself. Calm helps you stress less, sleep more, and live a happier, healthier life. I love using their guided meditations, sleep stories, relaxing music tracks, and daily movement sessions at night, all of which are designed to give you the tools to improve the way you feel. And I'm not alone. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm. Even if you've never meditated before, you'll get the support you need to reduce stress, improve focus and uplift your mood. The sleep stories help you drift off quickly to recharge your brain and they are also great for getting kids to calm their minds at night so you can rest assured they're getting the sleep they need. And for listeners of this show, Calm is offering an exclusive offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. Just go to calm.com slash Dr. Leaf for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. That's very important. Yeah, we're not doing yeah. things to feel good. We're doing things to feel less bad. It's medicating the, using it to medicate. Whereas sitting with that pain may not feel nice, but that is going to lead to a level of acceptance of the uncertainty of life, which does give you peace yes. versus, oh, I don't like this feeling. Let me suppress it with whatever. And then after the suppression wears off, 
now you're still sitting with the original issue that or issues or whatever that you still need to make peace with. Yeah. So it's making peace with what you can't, you know, the, the uncertainties of life and all those issues of life. And 1000%. And I think, you know, mm. and, and again, it's challenging and I don't want anyone to, to you know, have, to listen to this and have a realization to be like, Oh my God, I've been making all these mistakes the whole time. It's like, no, again, we're signaled this. I, chatting with a friend yesterday and they just kept saying i'm a giver i'm a giver my biggest problem is i'm a giver and i'm like you're not a giver you're a people pleaser because if you were a giver a giver is someone that is existing in abundance they have taken care of themselves they've you put on their oxygen mask and now they are helping somebody else i'm like the givers that i actually know in, in, in my world are the people who are extremely successful in whatever they're doing and now are looking for opportunities to serve. And like your definition of giver is putting everybody else's needs before your own. And now that's been romanticized. And now you feel, now you become a martyr. But I'm like, that's not a giver. That's a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. And that's that so good. is going and, to lead to resentment. And you, and you can't have love and resentment in the same room. Oh, I, that's very, very important what you've just said. Because also that that feeling of I'm a giver is met by the current discussion on boundaries. And I'm all for boundaries, but not the way that they've been misunderstood. Then I'm a giver, so now I must put up these boundaries to lock people out. Meanwhile, boundaries there, it's a self-love thing. It is yes. actually what do you need to be able to be the best you so that you can be the best for other people. Yes. You know, so it's kind of, there's been a little, di- little bit of a distortion of terms. So that's why it's really good that we have these kinds of discussions that we yes. can all check in on ourselves because it's so easy to, to get caught up. I don't know if you're aware of this, but that the 95, up to 95%, this is some of the research that I've done and people in this field of of what is going on around us is being absorbed on an unconscious level into through our mind, into our brain and body. So it's in our mind, brain, body connection. So there's a ton of stuff that we are just absorbing from our culture, which we all know, but scientifically it's actually happening. It's going in and it's wiring into the mind, brain, body connection. And that's mm. what you were speaking about earlier on. These philosophies, mm. these the zeitgeist, the conditioning, these things. And that those can, the way I see it, and I'd love your, your input on this, is that when that happens, that's going to trigger a sense of lack of peace. Yes. And yes. it's a major signal that, hey, there's something here that's disturbing me and making me feel a lack of peace. And maybe this hovering, which if you sort of dig down, you'll find hovering anxiety or whatever, and maybe a bit of depression or different emotions and behaviors and so on. That, that you actually pay attention to that and relook and see, you know, maybe I'm without even, you know, if I know that 95% of what I've been exposed to is wiring into me, it's my mind, brain and body are on my side to help me work out when this is something that inside of me that's actually disturbing my sense, my me as a person and my mm-hmm. self-love and so on. So that lack of peace is a great signal to try and identify that. So that's kind of how I've been teaching this and from my research. I'd love your, your take on, on that and how you yeah. would see that. You know, uh, you know, having a, a, you know, a superficial example, going back to the story about my dog, you know, the first dog I had, we put him to sleep at 11 years old. So, you know, he was a big German shepherd. So that's Mm -hmm. a full life. But we took him to the vet, you know, put him on the examination table, put him to sleep. It was a heartbreaking moment. Terrible. And again, having a dog. Yeah, it's terrible. It is. And then I get my new puppy in April 2021. So this is in the middle of the pandemic. So mm-hmm. for the first year to going to the vet, I would drop her off at the front door because it was contactless and I was still in Toronto. And then when I moved to Los Angeles, things, you know, things had opened up mm-hmm. and then I take her to the vet in 2022 for the first time I walk into a veterinary office and then I see that steel table and instantly Toma. I almost, I almost vomited. Yeah. And 
it made me realize, wow, I've been this visual that I haven't seen in over 10 years. There's so much trauma associated with it. And I've been carrying that for 10 years, not knowing. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it, that was it. And then again, what else is in there? How else do I, you know? <laughs> a lot more than we realize. <laughs> a lot more than as you said, you're saying 95. And I, and I, and I, like, and I yeah. use that for an example because it's like, it took seeing it again to make me realize. I didn't think about it. Like it wasn't, I wasn't anticipating it and just mm-hmm. walking into the room. Not and again, you. she was just there to get a vaccine, like a puppy vaccine. So it wasn't, there was, yeah. it wasn't a stressful experience at all. And all of a sudden seeing that, and then it instantly made me think, what else is hiding in here? And again, so step one is first off, try to be aware of uh, or explore through journaling, through sitting quietly, mm-hmm. which is people's definition of meditation. See what is there. And realize there's that's still the tip of the iceberg, and there's so much exactly. there. And you know, and, and this Michael, this is a, a Michael Singer idea, but it's also Eastern philosophy. Not only you know are we limited by these negative experiences, we're also limited by the positive experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, if we have positive associations for certain things, that creates biases as well, which limits exactly. our experiences. Mm-hmm. And so really the true liberation from this is not only processing the negative stuff, but it's also abandoning the positive. So, and a real world example I use for that is, you know, for, for people like us who are public figures on online, we can't simply, simply disregard the negative comments that we get, we experience because anybody mm-hmm. with a large following will experience those. Mm-hmm. You also have to recognize their value is the same as the positive and the positive. Mm-hmm. You're st- these are still people that don't know us have a limited view. They're in the nosebleed sections of our lives. They have mm-hmm. a limited view and they're expressing an opinion. Whether the opinion is something we enjoy hearing or not, it doesn't change that fact. So we can't simply disregard the negative and absorb the positive and think that that's great. It really has to be my relationship with these comments has to be addressed. So my biases in, in, in situations that make me feel good, I have to address that the same way situations that make me feel bad otherwise they're both going to continually exist exist and control you maybe in the wrong way yeah exactly they can, in the wrong yeah. way. and they yeah. can influence mm-hmm. you in the wrong way you can have those biases you know if somebody mm-hmm. has the name of you know somebody that you really admire and then you start to lean towards them a little bit more or somebody has the name of an ex and you don't want to be around them because they remind you of that those are mm-hmm. both limiting experiences mm-hmm. and, and and what we need to do is you know especially in the world of love is make efforts to live a bigger life in a bigger world and you know and that comes just from the yeah that's a perfect way to end this make make the effort to live a bigger life in a bigger world i love that that's beautiful and the self-love mm-hmm. is a massive part of that because we can't do that without the self-love yeah so that do you have a well that's a great final word of final pearl of wisdom is there anything else that you'd like to say just to wrap up this beautiful discussion yeah i i just you know as i said this this is i'm, I'm still making all these mistakes again i'm i'm, I'm a kid at the front of the class who, who, who tried to read as many philosophers, clinical psychologists, poets, as much as I could to, to, to create this book. And, and I'm still making the mistakes. I'm not a love guru in any capacity. But I think it's just really, really, really important to understand that none of this is mystical, as secretive. You know, as you read the book, it's mm-hmm. going to connect with what already feels right, just as this conversation exactly. is. And even people's definition of self-love, whatever you think you need to do to love someone else is, is the same thing you got to do to yourself. 
You know, you can hug yourself. You can be intimate with yourself. You can accept yourself as you are. Look at yourself in the mirror and accept what you see in front of you. Express gratitude towards it. The same way that we would love other people. Being vulnerable with yourself can be in the form of journaling. Another great way, irrespective of your religious beliefs, prayer. I think prayer is an authentic moment to express what you actually want and and express what you're actually grateful for. And then I think also dance dancing by yourself feeling your body these are all opportunities to become more vulnerable with yourself my goal is to make it sound simple but that doesn't mean it's easy everything Mm -hmm. is easier said than done but again we're in a society that sells us this dream of convenience and, and ease but that really has an impact on our resilience and our peace and it's okay that it's it's going to be work it's okay that it's going to be labor You know, if you go to the gym and it was an easy day, it probably wasn't a good day at the gym. It's got to be difficult. And let's look at life a little bit that way and know that every this economic engine will is trying to sell us the idea that everything can and should be easier. But no, it shouldn't. It should be a little <laughs> bit difficult because that's how resilience is formed. That's how we and, and I know seeing another clinical psychologist talk about this, that Difficult situations also unlock potentials that you didn't realize existed within exactly. you. So exactly. let's let's view that as self-love. Self-love can be doing hard stuff and, and evolving from it as well. I love that. That's so important and it's so real. And there's such a chasm in society at the moment because what you're saying, everyone in this conversation who's listening to this conversation will relate to it. We, we, mm-hmm. we know that this is the reality. And there's, so there's this chasm between what we know and what we're being told. And so it's to be able to blend the two to create a tremendous conflict in people. So thank you for writing the book and for sharing your wisdom. And this has been a beautiful conversation. I really enjoyed it. And we'll put all the links to where people can find you in the book in the show notes. And thank you for joining us. And I really love the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Likewise. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.